Well, I found out why my daughter was giggling down front here, and I was trying to figure out what was going on behind me. Just in case you get one of these cards, I need to clarify something. It says dinner on the grounds, June 18th through 22nd. Yeah, that, just so you know, we're not doing a five-day dinner on the grounds. I just want you to know that. The new ones will be here next week. The new ones will come next week, so come back next week or clarify, fix it on your own right now. But do not show up here for those five days. Unless you're bringing food, I'll probably be here. Unless you are bringing food, then we can figure that out. I'm guessing that is probably uh, youth camps is what I'm guessing that is. So anyway, just so in case you run off at that, don't show up on the 18th. That's all I'm telling you. Starting a series today. Uh, Easter Sunday called Chasing Daylight. John chapter 9, Jesus' words, 4 through 5, says, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Today, starting off this series, is on choices. Chasing daylight. You've probably done projects in your yard or where you don't have another place to go to get the light done, so you've got to get it done by the time the sun sets. You know what it's like to chase daylight. You work a little harder, you work a little faster, you work a little more efficient maybe. But chasing daylight, choices. Before we do that, I want to step back a couple thousand years and just imagine what, it must, what the disciples must have been going through on that, what we now call Resurrection Sunday. They had witnessed, or at least they had heard about the crucifixion. Jesus, their Messiah, was dead. All their hopes, all their expectations, broken, crushed, dead. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've been where you had this anticipation of what Jesus was going to do for you, but you end up at a spot going, wow, this feels broken. This feels dead. And if that's the case, these guys are fools for following him, right? And if that were the end of the story, they would have been, yes, fools, but you'd never heard of Jesus. You'd never heard of Christianity. There would have been no churches. Jesus' followers would have disappeared like the followers of dozens of other would-be messiahs that came along during that time if that were the end. But Jesus' death was not the end. It actually was just the beginning, wasn't it? And see, we have this tendency to come on Easter Sunday and hear the resurrection story and almost take it for granted. But the resurrection created the church. A lot of men have been born. A lot of men died. Okay. As a matter of fact, everybody that's been born eventually died, okay, up to this point, and some of it, or at least we've got that in our future. But to be resurrected, that changes everything. Dr. Carl Banks says, if you want some real proof that the resurrection occurred, I present to you the early church. Think about it. This group of demoralized fools, however, as demoralized as they were, changed the history of the world. The most electrifying seven words that have ever been uttered, in my opinion, is, He is not here. He is risen. It changed everything. See, when the early church 
And the early Christians, including the disciples, were called upon to defend their faith in, in Jesus as a Messiah. They rarely pointed to his great moral teachings or even refer to his miracles. They pointed to the rock-solid proof, the cross, the death, the resurrection. The resurrection is the centerpiece of the gospel and our faith. Now, those of you who follow the church calendar, some of you here may or may not know that this is, of course, the end of the Lenten season, but it, is, it started Ash Wednesday. For those of you who don't know, it started on Valentine's Day, and it ends on April Fool's Day. Pretty interesting, huh? And for some of you, I'm sure, thinking about this, it started out like seemingly love, but it ends up as some kind of prank, okay, at the end of it. Some of you have come today thinking Easter and why we celebrate it should be on April Fool's Day. You know, a few years ago, Jan, being in the real estate, got a card from a company and said, Fairytale Brownies. How many have ever heard of Fairytale Brownies? You know, you go online and try to look these up. These things are expensive. I don't know if you know that. They're way more expensive. Well, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't slam them. I don't know if they're more expensive than they should be. I don't know that. But what I know is we get this card and think, Fairytale Brownies, man. And, we, and, we, and we, so, we, so we do a lot of effort and we go out to, to Gilbert. We, we live in Phoenix. We go out to the Gilbert area to pick them up. And I figured it up. It, take, it takes about, I think it was 36 miles round trip at 56, 56 cents a mile at that time for gas and wear and tear, not counting our time, it was about $20. So we get this box and we get there and go, oh, wow, get it home. And you begin to open it up and... And all of a sudden, there's that, more of that, and there's some of that, another one of those, then you get to that. <laughs> then you open that up, and it's that. $20, 45 minutes of time. For some reason, that's how some of you have felt like your Christian journey has been. You've put some time in, you thought it was worth it, but somewhere along the way, it just, for whatever reason, just wasn't up to what you thought. But on the flip side of that, some of you have invested a lot of time chasing after the things in the world, and it was smaller than that, Brown. You got there, you opened the box up, you looked at it and go, Wow, it looked, the box looked this big from outside, and I'd be willing to travel wherever I need to travel. The box looked this big. And I paid the price to go get it, and I get there, and I want a little brownie. Oh, it's expensive, yeah. In honor of April Fool's Day, I want us to read today 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. should be up on the screen. If not, if you don't have your Bible or electronic device, then we should be able to help you there. It is this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate it. Anybody feel frustrated? <laughs> Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs. Greek look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. You may want to circle that if you've got a Bible or highlight it. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before Him. It's because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In honor of April Fool's Day, I hope you leave today convinced that what we do here is foolish. Let me say it again. I hope you leave here today convinced that what we do here is foolish. You might be a fool if you're convinced that faith in Christ is the deciding factor for this fractured world. Let me say it again. You might be a fool if you're convinced that faith in Christ is the deciding factor for this fractured world. Francis Chan says this. If this faith we talk about is the deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of individuals, marriages, families, cultures, and nation of the world, we have to come to a sobering conclusion. Either there are individual lives, marriages, families, cultures, nations, or a world at stake, or they are not. And if if there is not, then let's go do something else with our lives. But if this faith is a deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of all these mentioned, then we need to take this real, real serious and get busy and start chasing daylight. One of the two. This is about choices. It's about choices. You know, we make so many choices every day. And I know you and I both do. We choose to get out of bed. I mean, you know, some of our choices... Or have-tos, we just feel like we have to do it if it's already decided for us, but we're going to have to do it. Some of them are very selfish. We decide in the moment, I'm going to do it anyway because that's what I want. Anybody ever there? (laughs) I just want to do it. Some of them are based on our values. They flow out of who we are. We've really set down real deep stakes in the ground, and I'm not saying those values are great ones, by the way. Jesus says, wherever your heart Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will also be, okay? So it doesn't mean that you're whatever you're valuing and whatever your treasure is great. It's just saying you will automatically do it because of what you've built up inside in the depths of your soul. Hopefully there are good values. Hopefully there are values like, for instance, some of us have values that seemingly are not really thought out completely. It's just we know they're good values like brushing our teeth or taking a shower. They're values, right? We like, we value what? Hygiene. Most of you do 
and I'm glad. So there's certain things we do. We don't really decide. We just we don't choose, but we do choose because we've chose somewhere else. Sometimes we choose out of ignorance. The other day I tried to stick in. I was trying to help Allie at her new condo. I stuck like a fool. A dryer, I was trying to make sure, because I'd already bought this dryer. I had this dryer plug at the house from when we flipped houses. I had some extra ones laying around, so I tried to put it in the in their dryer plug, and I realized it was for a range, so it won't work. So I went and bought a, a, a one for the dryer, and I went, I went and plugged it in. I just wanted to make sure it would fit. What I forgot was the wires were touched. I didn't have it plugged into anything. I didn't turn the breaker off, and, and fire came out of the room. I made a decision that almost made a defining decision. Okay? Out of ignorance. Out of just not thinking it through. Ever been there? Texting while you're driving down the road. I would have, if you'd have said to me that day, you're a fool, I would have said, I'm at the front of the line. I almost took myself out. Now, no doubt, looking back over our lives, we could reduce down to probably a few moments a handful of them probably of defining moments. We have a lot of little ones, but there are some defining moments we have in our lives where if we had chosen differently, especially if you're a believer in Christ, if you would have chosen differently, it would have had a radically altered the, traje- the trajectory of your life. I mean, the day I met Jan, most of you won't share the story here, but the day I met Jan changed the trajectory of my life, not simply because we ended up getting married, but also through her I found Christ at 26 years old. Through that marriage, it changed both of those. That When I was 26, God gave me a thirst for, for something that I couldn't quench unless I followed him. Some of you are thirsting. God has put a thirst in you right now that there is nothing else that's ever going to quench it until you give yourself fully to Him. And after I did that, Easter was no longer about bunnies and eggs. And my dad, he was awesome about the Easter egg hunt, and there was always money, and everybody had a name and had a money and, and money eggs. Anybody have money eggs? At your, I don't do it at my house, but anyway... <laughs> I didn't, I didn't carry on that tradition from my dad. But. The move to Arizona on January 1, 1998, defining moment for us. It was, and it changed so many things. But see, the problem we have today is our culture almost shames us to not leaving our options open. It almost shames us to go, and you need to leave your options open on these things. I mean, I could go down a whole list of things of where that affects us. But the reality is, it seems that the more options we have, the more afraid we are of choosing. We become enslaved to non-committal. In fact, we may become so fearful of making a choice, we simply refuse to choose. But by not choosing, we choose. And I know it's wise. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I know it's wise, especially as a believer, to seek to pray, to seek wise counsel, to, to, to be in the Word, to go before the Lord with whatever that decision is. I get that, and I promote that. 
But there is a point when pausing becomes procrastination. When pausing becomes fear. See, the problem for some of you today is when it comes to God, your indecision is crippling you. It's crippling you. And because that it is crippling, that it is crippling, those who are depending on you to make an ironclad decision, it's crippling them also. And they don't even know it for sure. See, in the spiritual realm, God did not create us to leave our options open. He created us to commit. He created us to commit to Him. He created us to commit to others. He created us to choose. You get to choose in this thing. What an awesome, awesome thing. You get to choose. See, Jesus deliberately closed off all of his options. Nothing narrows your options more than having your hands and feet nailed to a wooden cross. See, if you choose you over God, you're also choosing you over anyone else's heart. I'll say that again. If you're choosing you over God, in my opinion, you're choosing you over anyone else's heart. You're choosing you over the healing of this fractured world that you engage with on a daily basis. If you choose you. Because how you take care of your heart, I believe, tells you how you'll take care of others. And I believe it's all centered on the resurrection and the cross. It is the deciding factor. I am convinced of that. And if you are, you may be a fool. And this may have to explain, but you may be a fool if you believe the sun rose this morning when you didn't see it rise. Say it again. You may be a fool if you believe the sun rose this morning when you didn't see it rise. One of my favorite parts of coming across the valley, a lot of times early on Sunday mornings, is seeing the sunrise, but especially on Easter morning. But there were clouds this morning. There were clouds. But guess what? I knew the sun still rose. I was up. I was waiting. I was watching. But I knew it still rose because I saw the effects of it rising. Have you ever been there where you're not sure that God is there? It's all cloudy. I love what the Word says. I'm, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. I only know part right now. I can't see everything. I don't know why this is happening. When I go to the movies, I hate to get there late. And I hate to have to go to the bathroom during the movies. Because sometimes you get there, five minutes late, you're catching up the whole time. You miss that screen, so it happened in what year, and it happened in what city, and it happened... You're like, oh, man, I'm just trying to catch up the whole 
time. And if you've, and if you've ever messed up and tried to drop yourself into the Lord of Rings, which is approximately 12 hours, I think, but can you imagine, can you imagine taking the Lord of the Rings and somebody sticking you in the room watching the movie for 15 seconds and pull you out of that room all of a sudden and say, tell me about the whole movie. Because we see things in fragments. We only see things partially. Some of you have come this morning, I, I, I would say, when we sang earlier that God is good, you struggle with saying that. You really struggle with saying, if there is a God, you had to get that, but if there is a God, I struggle with saying that out loud or even thinking it. Because you think about all the suffering and all the things that go on in the world, for you, there, that is not evidence that God is either real or good. Let me ask you this, part of the question I always ask myself in some of these thinkings is, if I didn't believe in God, would blank still happen? I mean, if there was no God, would the suffering still be going on? So not believing in God doesn't change it. Unless you're concerned of looking foolish, attempting to defend this seemingly defenseless God. See, some of us are scared. Because we can't make sense of why all these things happen. We don't know the why behind it. I think that's one of the things about suffering and things like that. We want to know the why, and sometimes we don't get the why. We're never told the why. So we think we'll look foolish if we defend what we now have classified as a defenseless God. Have you ever thought this? Man, I wish I'd have known God then like I know Him now. <laughs> Boy, would things be different today. See, I don't want anyone in this room today to think that I would take anyone's pain and suffering and loss lightly. I do not. I know I'm joking a little bit with some of this this morning. My own family has been through over the years a lot of loss, and even recently. The last 12 months, for me personally, has been more loss than any other time in any 12 months in my life. But the reality is I'm surrounded by absolutely staggering abundance of blessing. I'm inclined to believe that the grace I've been allowed to enjoy for even the past five minutes, my heart beating, the ability to rant and rave like I have been up here to breathe and walk, is evidence to me that God is good. You and I got up this morning and gravity worked perfectly. Again. <laughs> the sun that we didn't see rise was still just the right distance from the earth to keep us from freezing or frying. Throughout this morning, I'll be able to enjoy all kinds of experiences. I was able to taste coffee this morning. Maybe I shouldn't have. That's part of the issue this morning. But <laughs> tasted it too much to smell perfume, to use, the, to use this time to, to touch people, and I mean in the right way, to handshake, to give hugs. 
I'm just convinced there's something in the soul of man which Christ has put there. That there are needs that life creates which only he can meet. Wounds that only he can heal. And the further on this journey I've gone with him, and sometimes you wonder if you want to go any further, (laughs) we find he leads us into a world which we cannot live without him. The more you follow him, the more he leads you, the more you realize, wow, I can't live without him. And sometimes you're standing there almost empty-handed. Sometimes you just have to go, I don't have anything to offer. Sometimes, some of you are in a situation right now, I would just say you're going to have to leave a situation. It could be a workplace. It could be a, a, a <clears throat> I'm not talking about marriage. Let's talk, let, we need to come next week if you're thinking about that, okay? Uh, but I'm talking about relationships. It could be someone who's got so much influence on you that's sucking this hope of Christ away from you. Let me say this. I love Gene Edwards' statement at A Tale of Three Kings. He said, beginning empty-handed and alone frightens the best of men. It also speaks volumes of just how sure they are that God is with them. Some of you are going to have to choose. Some of you are going to have to walk away empty-handed. Trust God with the results. And you may look like a fool now, but you won't later. See, some of you are at a crossroads right now that would determine the future of your marriage. And you know it. Again, next week we're trying to help with some of that. It's going to determine your family. You're going to term, it's going to determine your legacy. I hope you don't look at your spouse and say, yes, I choose me. I hope you don't, unfortunately don't look at your children and say, yes, I choose me. And to really be honest with you, it has no age barrier. I mean, you could be a teenager right now and choosing it, okay? So let me be very clear on that. It doesn't have to be, you could be single, you could be married, you could be young or older. The trajectory of your life is at stake. Mark Batterson says this in his book, Circle Maker. He said, you're only one defining decision away from a totally different life. One defining decision can change your trajectory and put you on a new path towards the promised land. One defining decision can totally change the forecast of your life. And it's those defining decisions that become the defining moments of your life. When God transforms the heart of a father, when God transforms the heart of a mother, when God transforms the heart of a teenager, when God transforms the heart of a business owner, when God transforms the heart of a public servant, when God transforms the heart, he begins to change everything around them. It changes the church. It changes their home. It changes their community. And it has an opportunity to change the world. When, when you allow God to get a hold of your heart and begin to change you and transform you, It has great possibilities. One of my defining moments was the children's hospital in Little Rock. Our daughter's sitting, our oldest daughter is 14 months old. We thought she had an aneurysm. We didn't know until we got there from Texarkana. We drove up. 
We were there, and I'd made a commitment to the Lord that couple of days before. I said, Lord, and I'd only been a Christian at this time eight months. I said, Lord, if you will heal Sydney, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll do whatever you ask if you'll heal Sydney. We were there a couple of days running the test. We still didn't really know where we were. I was sitting in, standing, sitting in a waiting room and walked down the hallway, and I said, Lord, I've changed my mind. You know, the other day I told you, if you will heal Sydney, I will do anything you ask. I've changed my mind. Whether you heal her or not, I'll do everything you ask the best I can. Defining moment. See, you might be a fool if, if being a fool is believing that God goes to great lengths to have a love relationship with you. Then you may be a fool. If being a fool is to believe that Christ can remove your sins as far as the east is from the west, then you may be a fool this morning. If being a fool is to believe that God has a great purpose for every human being, no matter their race, social status, past, you may be a fool this morning. If being a fool is to be faithful to your spouse and honor them and how you, and how you talk, what you watch, and how you think, then you, then you may be a, a fool this morning. If being a fool is the willingness to speak divine truth for the good of others, even at personal risk, being bold, then you may be a fool. If being a fool is to believe that the creator of the universe knows your name and calls you friend, then baby, you may be a fool. If being a fool is believing the resurrected Messiah has promised the wellspring of life will bubble up from within the depths of your soul and that you will share that water with the thirsty world, then you may be, you just really might be a fool. If being a fool is knowing you could never again be satisfied with mere existence when you have lived with divine purpose. Then you may be a fool. If that's a fool, I'll die a fool. So be it. Jim Elliott says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to ask Josiah and him to come up as we close this morning. And knowledge isn't power until you act. It's kind of a funny thing. I've been, a, I'm not a golfer, but I someday hope I will be. I have been collecting. Anybody know who Hank Haney is? He's one of the great teachers of golf. I've been collecting a blog for him for about the last three years. I've got like, I don't know, 700 to 1,000 little tips he's got in my file on my Gmail, and I've not golfed once. <laughs> but just in case I ever do, I got that logged away. That's how some of you have been operating in your faith. Knowledge is really just knowledge. Useless knowledge if you don't act. Actually, it's better to have never known, I think the word says, than to know and not. And it's most likely that most of you in here this morning, not all of you, and I, man, give you a lot of grace, but most of you in here this morning, I've had more knowledge about Jesus than you will ever need at this point to make a decision. You just have. I mean, I accepted Christ 
When I did it 26 years old, I didn't know what the first book of the Bible was. So I've got to guess you have enough knowledge right now <laughs> to make a choice. But it's time to commit. It's time to make a decision. And people are in this room at different points of their life. They're in this po- different points in the sense of some were like me when I was 26 years old, had never made a public commitment, never made a, 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 a commitment to Christ in my heart. You're in this room today, my guess is. But some of you have been waffling. Some of you have been leaving your options open. Some of you have just been waiting. Which has become a procrastination. Which is way past the point of when you should have chosen. In honor of the great evangelist Billy Graham, he said this, The destiny of your soul is in your hands by the choices you make. And I would say this, and then there are people attached to you, ripples from that choice. It's time to choose.